Today, our church around the world celebrates the fourth Sunday of Advent. And in doing so, we read the story of the Annunciation. Now, as I've said before, in order for us to really appreciate these stories, we have to understand the whole context in which it is set in. Mary right now is at home with her parents. She's living in Nazareth. Nazareth is a rural town. It's isolated from central roads of commerce. The people that live in Nazareth are common people. They're common laborers. They're tradesmen. They're farmers. Each year they struggle to make out a living. Now, Mary has nothing but the best to look forward to. Her future is very bright. She's engaged to Joseph, a man she loves. Joseph, we know, is a carpenter, so he's a skilled tradesman. Therefore, he can provide a good life for Mary. So, she has everything. She has her husband. She has a home. She's going to have children, maybe grandchildren. So, she has everything to look forward to. And now, the angel Gabriel visits her and tells her something, a message from God, such that the life that she used to look forward to is now going to end. Instead, her world that she once knew is going to be turned upside down. Now, the salvation of the whole world now rests upon Mary's shoulders. It's contingent upon Mary's answer, whether she will say yes or no, to be an integral part of God's plan of salvation for the world. Now, Mary could have easily said to the angel, no, I've got everything to look forward to. I'm going to be engaged. I'm, I'm going to get married. I'm going to have children. I just can't do this. Let someone else do it. But immediately, she says yes to the angel Gabriel. She says yes to God. Now again, recognize the pressure that Mary is under. The salvation of the entire world rests upon this woman's shoulders. Now, Scripture scholars believe Mary right now is around 14, 15, 16 years old. Now, in our day and age, in the 21st century, we would say she's a girl. But in the first century, she's considered a young woman of Marian age. And yet, the salvation of the entire world rests upon this young woman. And so we can only imagine the pressure she must have felt. Also, recognize the risk that she's taking. When she says yes to the angel Gabriel, well, she immediately conceives Jesus. That's why the angel Gabriel tells Mary just that. And he leaves her and immediately she conceives Jesus. Well, eventually Joseph is going to find out that she's pregnant. And he's also going to know that that child is not his. It's someone else's. Can you imagine the betrayal that Joseph felt you know, to know that the woman that he loves so much in this world, the woman that he wanted to marry and spend the rest of his life with, is now carrying someone else's baby? So she risks her own marriage. More to it, she risks dishonoring her family. Once again, eventually, you know, people are going to find out, her own family, that she's pregnant. She's going to start showing. And when they ask her who's the father of the child, She's not going to be able to tell them. So she risks dishonoring her family. And who knows? Her own family may kick her out of the house. But the greatest risk is her own life. 
according to Mosaic law in the first century, a woman found guilty of adultery, well, it was punishable by stoning to death. So Mary risks everything, her marriage, dishonoring her family, even her own life. And yet notice, she immediately says yes to the angel, to God. She doesn't hesitate. She doesn't pause. She doesn't ask for some time to pray about it. See, therein lies the powerful lesson that Mary teaches us. Now, did Mary fully understand God's plan of salvation for her or the world? I don't think so. That's why she asks the angel Gabriel the question, how can this be since I have no relations with a man? So she doesn't understand fully what's going on. But nonetheless, what's important is she has faith and she trusts in God. She trusts in the love that God has for her and that God will protect her, regardless of what happens. And so she turns her life over to the Lord, regardless of all the risks that she's taking. See, that's why Mary is such a great example for us of faith. This is what we have to do in order for us to welcome the presence of Christ into our life, just like Mary literally did. We have to surrender to God, turn our life over to God. Now, what's the potential problem? Well, the ego. The ego that says what? You know, I must be in charge. You know, it's my life, bought out. I want to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, when I want to do it. I'm the sole determiner of good and evil. No one should tell me how I should live my life. See, it's a basic biblical truth. The more we turn inwardly on our ego, the more we turn away from God. Where is this most clearly seen? Well, in the fall of grace with Adam and Eve, in the story in Genesis. Adam and Eve, they grasp from that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, they're not necessarily grasping at that fruit as they are grasping at divinity. Remember the story? The serpent, the devil, seduces both Adam and Eve. He tells them that the reason why God doesn't want them to eat from that tree is because they will be gods themselves. So God wants to keep them down. Well, now Adam and Eve are convinced of that. They see God now as a rival rather than a friend. And so in that act of grasping for that fruit, they're actually grasping for divinity. They want to be gods themselves. See, they're following their own ego, their own will. See, that's the sin of self-centeredness, the sin of turning inwardly on yourself. Where else is this scene? Well, turn to Exodus. The Israelites are living in Egypt. They're living pretty much like slaves to the Egyptians. How do the Egyptians' pharaohs treat the Israelites? Well, they build monuments to the pharaohs. Again, it's the sin of self-centeredness. Where else is this clearly seen? When you look at the nations that have conquered the Israelites, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Romans, you know, these are all cultures that have turned inwardly on themselves. What's so interesting is the Israelite people are conquered by these nations. Why? Because the Israelites are spiritually weak. And yet, what does Mary do? She begins to reverse this momentum of sin. Adam and Eve brought sin into this world. 
and throughout the centuries thereafter, you see this momentum, this cycle of sin going on and on. Well, now through Mary, by her acquiescing, accepting her mission, by her just saying, I am the handmaiden of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your will, now she begins to reverse that momentum of sin, begins to rewrite the wrong that started with Adam and Eve in the fall of grace. That's why our early church fathers refer to Mary as the new Eve. Adam and Eve, what do they do? They grasp. They grasp at divinity. They want to be gods themselves. And what do they do? They usher in that momentum of sin. What does Mary do? Just the opposite. She doesn't grasp. Instead, she surrenders her entire life. And in doing so, now that momentum of sin begins to be reversed through Mary and her response to the angel. Notice also the angel Gabriel's greeting to Mary. He says, Hail, full of grace. The Latin word for hail is Ave, Ave, which is where we get the song Ave Maria. Well, if you reverse that word, it's Ava or Eve. See, this is what convinced the early church fathers that Mary is the new Eve. That's begins to set all things right the way they should have been at the very beginning of creation. That's why Mary is such a great role model for us all, to help us prepare to receive Christ, not just at Christmas, but every day of our life. The key, turn our lives over to Christ. With faith and trust in God, we can do just that. Now, sometimes we think we're doing God's will, we say, you know, I, I know I'm doing good work and I know I'm doing God's will. But in reality, we might be doing our own plan, our own will. I'll give you a great example of this. Look at Joseph. Joseph, in Matthew's Gospel, when we hear the narrative of the Nativity, it's all about Joseph. Joseph, he finds out that Mary is pregnant and immediately he wants to divorce her. But it says he wants to divorce her quietly so as to protect Mary. Now, he thinks he's doing God's will. He thinks he's looking out for the best interests of Mary. Then he receives an angel in his dream. And the angel tells Joseph what he's doing is totally wrong. It's totally against what God wants him to do. So what does he do? He abandons his own plans. He surrenders to God and follows what God wants him to do. Like Mary, does he truly understand what's happening? No, not at all. I don't think he does. But like Mary, he has faith, and he trusts in God. And that's all that counts. And now he's prepared to welcome Christ into his life, literally. See, that's why I say Joseph and Mary, they are great teachers. They help us properly prepare to receive Christ in our life. What's the first step? We have to turn our life over to God. Do we necessarily know God's plan of salvation? Well, no. Neither did Joseph or Mary. Do we always see the big picture like God sees? Well, no. Neither did Joseph or Mary. But, like Joseph and Mary, we have faith. And we trust that God wants nothing but the best for us and will guide us and protect us and love us. And that's enough. 
that's enough for us, like Joseph and Mary, to turn our lives over to Christ. And in doing so, we now are prepared to properly receive Christ into our life, not just at Christmas, but each and every day of our life, just like Mary and Joseph literally did. And may the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.